Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Two friends, and I use that term loosely, start their road to calamity by visiting another friend of theirs. And yes, I refer to that friend here again, loosely. What takes place is a life-changing event that changes the lives of both of them for better and for worse. Welcome listeners, it's a Friday mates, the start of the weekend, yeah! And I'm here with the tale, A Good Friend, sent to me by Ed Nobody. That name had me smiling, and their writing is just as cheeky. And I do enjoy myself a cheekily written tale, mates. So, pour yourself an old grey, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and think. What would you have done in Jim's situation? Enjoy. Jim Milestone was occupationally dead at 27. His unillustrious career thus far consisted of jobs both the odd and even, from short stint to long bounce to oh god I'm wasting my life quagmires of endless toil. Vocations which ran the gamut of time, but all of which shared the common trait of leading nowhere. Soon, with the end of Jim's youth, he himself would be tossed to the side of the road, like so many used gum wrappers before him. This premonition filled him with the sort of doom usually reserved for runaway trains and crashed hard drives, which is to say that he was bloody terrified, mortally scared that this pitiful little working life was DOA, a stillborn vegetable about to get farmed for its remaining stem cells and sold to rich people as skin moisturizer. That's going a bit too far, isn't it, old boy? said his best friend, Morris Preston, a well-to-do accountant whose blue eyes shone bluer than his best suits, of which he possessed wardrobes full. Preston's powers of female seduction go without saying, to wit. He was a man-whore of the highest caliber. Jim Milestone hated his guts in a major way, but never told him so directly. Hence, why they were still outwardly friends, and why they had that evening convened at a local eatery whose table price exceeded a month of Jim's meager busywork salary, itself but a few quid north of the breadline. Also, Jim was sloshed off his ass on a vintage French number, and had unwittingly vocalized several of the above revelations. Probably not the thing about gut-hating Morris, that one surely would have been met with some reaction from the serene bastard, right? Then again, MJ resided so deep inside his own anal cavity, you could tell him a nuclear bomb was about to go off, and he'd still just continue to stare at nothing with that Cheshire sneer of his. Promptly steering the subject back to the Greenwich account, a subject which consumed 99% of his word count, and yet still remained a deep enigma to Jim. Probably because whenever it arose, the circuit breaker of his mind flipped to toodles. You see, Jimmy boy, the thing about the Greenwich account is that cranulated tins of spam glittering in the breeze, blim blam flim flam life, is but green peas or flower beds in meadows. A wonderful wizards of Oz, merrily, 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 
My dog has three paws. I'd love to slide and slippy twix the darling spots of May. So grey, or we're off to see the wizard, and we'll taste his cream brulee. Uh-huh. What? <laughs> You're being obtuse again, Jim. You always get this way when you're hammered. Morris opined, but he didn't seem to mind, as if the act of issuing the content of that fart box he called a brain was his real delight, and Jim's own participation in the dialogue merely supplemental. Jim took a deep swig of his adult juice, which had, in his inebriation, took on both the color and aroma of fine leather, as if someone had liquefied the upholstery of Morris's Jaguar. It was at that moment he realized he actually was sitting in said car, hurtling down the road at a blistering 40 miles per hour. Okay, not as fast as it felt. With the top down on an autumn evening, whizzing down the back roads of Lemington Spa. And why the bloody hell had Morris driven this way? Knowing how it only tortured Jim to see this snooty town which would forever lie outside the clutches of his own grimy blue claws. Honestly, this friend of his could be so inconsiderate at times. Granted, it was where Morris lived. But still... <sighs> Jim emitted a sound he'd intended as a sigh, but which some errant globule of phlegm wound up converting into a cough. Still on the sea sticks, are we? The bastard replied, cancer sticks being what the pretentiously healthy call cigarettes, with even bigger ponces shortening cancer to sea, for manners sake. Jim could think of many other such sea words requiring polite abbreviation, and one of them fit Morris perfectly. Trying to quit. Jim spat with an aloof quality not dissimilar to Morris's own brand of unconcern disregard. It was pointless, though. Morris's detachment was genuine, his ego serving the role of both sword and shield, easily disposing with any meager attempt on Jim's part at feigned disinterest. The nit of the grit was that everything this git said irritated Jim for weeks after the fact. He'd never considered himself a neurotic personality before, but maybe it's something that develops over time. Which is why we have to nip over to Sarah's on the way. Morris dropped another bomb on Jim's frail, drunken psyche. Christ, not her. Morris's old fling and present supervisor, Frank and Sarah, a previously attractive woman who'd panicked as the bow of her youth began to plunge into icy waters several years back, and since then had made more cosmetic adjustments than Barbie. Even the socially conscious Morris fell prey to several Freudian betrayals when mentioning her. We'll be there in a pinch, he said. And a tuck, Jim added. What? A row of meticulously pruned Douglas firs popped into view as the Jaguar neatly dashed around the last corner before Frank and Sarah's palace. An imposing exterior, to say the least. Short walls surrounding the ground forbid entry through a psychic rather than physical barrier. Short and stout yet elegant. Limestone or maybe granite? Probably a hundred quid a brick. Strands of ivy neatly draped over them with exacting precision. Possibly granite. The bricks had that sort of orangey tang in parts as opposed to limestone's uniform silver. Also, granite costs more, so 
Frank and Sarah was wont to select it. Of course, this was all dim conjecture. Jim's dad could have determined every facet of the wall's composition from half a mile away, a self-proclaimed architectural renovator, that is, bricklayer, from Nuneaton, had never slapped his yap shut about the subject over the dinner table, eggy-wags half-slobbering gob or no. This trait of geological expertise had no proved hereditary, however, and bricklaying was the last thing Jim would attempt, even in a career which has spread its wings from graveyard keeping to web marketing, bus driving to chauffeuring, flipping assets to flipping burgers. None of these vocations had yielded success, or even remote enjoyment for Jim. He was still searching for the one, which some part of him still believed. Even the Jaguar's racing quality brakes failed to stop the little buggy in time to avoid hitting the shadowy figure which appeared in the road out the thinnest of air. Oh God. Morris's face turned cerulean blue. His white knuckle gripped the steering wheel of the halted vehicle, chest bobbing up and down like a boy in choppy waters. It was altogether uncharacteristic of the uncaring little shit. Still, seeing him lose his cool like that filled Jim with a curious feeling. Was this fun? But yeah, also, the thing in the road, they should check that. On closer inspection, it probably was sandstone. The wall. Jim was the first to get out and sneak a peek of whatever wild creature had deigned to set foot in the way of Morris's prize green cockmobile. He felt surprisingly calm, considering. After all, if they'd really tread someone, it would be Morris getting bars on his windows, not he. Or how does that work if you're a passenger? Do you count as accessory, maybe? Either way, his life was shit. May as well add prison to the list of things to which he couldn't commit himself. But what had they hit? Right. Jim pulled himself together for a spurt, treading the crunchy gravel in the fresh night air. Rich air. Despite potentially having just played a part in accidental manslaughter, he couldn't help but admire that clean, unpoisoned air. So different to non-eaten air, which smelled like spoiled eggs and dog shit. Anyway, enough road sniffing. Time to check the corpse. It was a big one, lumpy and chunky, a dark mass of presumably meat, black and dull as an old rock in the stinging glare of Morris's high beams. Morris, do you mind turning down the brights a second? Jim noticed his own voice carried a hint of irritation. Had he actually been looking forward? to this night in La La Land with Frank and Sarah? This charade of pleasantry and the constant, not so discreet jabs at his background and present social standing, what kind of masochist was he anyway? Can you see it? Morris timidly called from behind his headlights, like a small child hiding under his bed. Yeah, I see it. See what, though? There was no choice. He'd have to roll it over. There was no other way to identify just what the bloody thing was. Animal? Vegetable? Mineral? Probably animal. Rocks this big don't just spontaneously appear in the middle of the road, after all. Dad had taught him well. Jim? Morris's voice quivered. 
It was at this point Jim realized he had been stalling on purpose. This was the first time he'd ever gotten one up over that snot-nosed, jaguar-riding, million-dollar-house-owning twerp, and Jim wanted to make it last. Like a foil-wrapped chunk of Easter egg kept in the fridge well past April. But all good things and all that. Jim carefully rolled the dark object over with his foot, marveling at his own ability to keep balance even while in vino. He gazed upon the face of the object revealed in the pale amber headlight and couldn't help but crack a smile. What? Morris urged him. What is it? My friend, Jim said with an ebullient wave of his hand. I'm afraid Sarah's just been done in. They say that in times of crisis, your true character is revealed. If that is true, then Morris Preston must be a total drip. Oh god. Oh god. What are we going to do? Is she really... Is she really... Dead? Jim put two fingers to the body's neck and waited a while. Yes. Oh god. Well, don't freak out. What? Don't freak out. We just ran over and I've been... And if we... Oh god. I'm going to jail. My career is finished. Who's going to handle the green witch account? Alright, calm down. Let's consider our options here. How the hell can you be so calm? You heartless bastard! I, I'm sorry, Jim. I didn't mean that. I know you and she didn't get along, but... But... Focus, Morris. Do you want to go to jail? What? What? What kind of question is that, you rotter? Do I want to go to jail? Of course I bloody don't. Then the question is simple. Not what, but how. How? How what? What the devil are you? The how of how we dispose of her? Morris's eyes widened as full as the evening moon. That fat, cheesy beast sitting high in the clean air atop the well-groomed Douglas firs, spying eagerly on the chaos unfolding below. You can't be serious! You're cold, Morris. I wasn't the one driving after all. Morris paused for a breath. Weren't you, though? What? He put on his best friendly smile, but on that horror-stricken face of his, it couldn't have looked ghastlier. Now... Now listen a moment, Jim. Morris only ever called him Jim when he wanted something. What came next was predictable. What if we were to uh, exchange roles in all this? Think about it. You have nothing to lose. I everything. Now before you say no, know that I would be willing to reward you. No. What? At least listen to- Forget it, Morris. I'm not taking the fall for you. But good heavens, Jim. Why ever not? You can make more sitting in a jail cell than you would out here as a so-called free man. We're talking tens of thousands of pounds here, at least. Probably. Then will you? No. Why? His good cheer had vanished in an instant, replaced with a red-faced, indignant goblin. 
which Jim had always suspected lay underneath that cool veneer. Served him right, the bastard. Finally got to taste what life had to offer. Jim grinned with newfound satisfaction in the warm beam of Morris's racing green jag. This might have been the first time he'd found himself on this side of the bargaining table, the side with the executive chair and drinks cabinet. And like one of those ball things where you swing a ball into the other dangling balls and they send the ball on the other end swinging, and then it comes back and it sends the first ball swinging. What are those called? Jim wondered. Jim! Wait, what do you... What were you saying? I'm saying why won't you do this for me? Well... Jim rubbed his chin trying to find the best way to say it. Because it's boring? Oh, and me rotting in jail and having my life ruined isn't? I mean, yeah. Just what kind of friend are you anyhow? Feigned friendliness followed by shock, followed by indignation. Talk about boilerplate. Jim deliberated on why he bothered keeping friends at all, if they were just going to be this obvious. He may as well chum around with a magic eight ball. He decided to give this one a shake. And just what guarantee do I have? You'll keep your word. I will. I will. There's no way I would go back on it. Morris had alighted from his obnoxious sports turd and was looking desperately around, trying to prick his ear for any oncoming cars. If someone came, there'd be no time left for negotiating. They'd need their story ready to go. Jim also knew this. He knew that with each passing second, his good old friend would become more and more desperate. All the balls were in Jim's court, basically. Or rather that he had his friend by the balls. Why did he keep thinking about balls? Jim retorted, A verbal promise. That's it. He cracked a cold smile that told Morris in so many words to... Get fucked. Morris gulped. Well, well, what do you want me to do? It's not like we can write a contract that states, if you take the fall, I'll give you such and such. That right there implicates me as guilty. No, certainly not that kind of contract. Then what are you suggesting? Please, if you have an idea, tell me already. There's no time to be coy here. For God's sake, Jim. Jim said nothing, his devilish grin stretching more with each deadly second that passed as he stood over the lifeless husk of Sarah, the contours of her readjusting face casting grotesque shadows on the high-end gravel. Jim? Jim grinned, wordlessly. A car was approaching. Jim! And given his exemplary behavior for the past three and a half years, as well as the unintended nature of the incident and the uh, inebriation of the victim in question, the parole board had decided to grant Jim milestone parole, effective immediately. He was out. Wasn't a bad stretch, all things considered. The other inmates had gone to no small lengths to try and make him squawk, but all attempts at discovering why one J. Milestone met his sentence with such great magnanimity and patience remained a mystery, especially given the fact his better-off friend had brushed off the whole thing like shoulder lint on an Armani suit. 
The general consensus around the cell block had been that Jim was just a really good sport. Yes, a good sport indeed. Jim sat back in his Herman Miller executive chair and sipped on his La Marcoso Espresso with a decadent smile. Surveying the grand expanse of his perfectly mowed lawn, neatly trimmed Douglas's and dignified sandstone wall running along the border of the Lymington Spa estate. Of course, the investigators in the drunk driving accident had used every means at their disposal to uncover any potential foul play. It was suspicious to begin with that Morris Preston had let his drunken slob of a friend drive his precious car that night, but they came up empty-handed. There had been no monetary exchange, no transfer of property, no evidence of blackmail, no nothing. If Jay Milestone really had taken the fall for Preston, it could have only been as an act of friendship. The coffee, a fine blend of authentic Kopi Luwak, tickled the back of Jim's throat like the bitter kisses of an angel. The wall of the estate started at the back of the house and stretched around for half the circumference of the grounds. It was Jim's father who had been tasked with constructing this wall that Bob Milestone had taken on a contract to renovate and Preston's outer wall had sort of flew under the radar at best considered a conciliatory act on the part of Morris. The wall, however, would never be completed. If the coppers had seen the supplementary clauses of the renovation contract, of course, they would have come to a different conclusion about the case. But since that contract had been signed under absolute secrecy, none of the parties involved could ever disclose its content unless the case was brought to court, which of course, it never would be. For the contract stated that as long as the project continued, Bob and family, that is, wife Sheila Milestone and son Jim Milestone, had full access to the ground at any time of the day. Full access, of course, included the master bedroom, in which Jim now sat, sipping wonderful coffee and smiling at yet another lazy summer day in paradise. As for Morris, well, Jim gave him the shed to sleep in. What? He wasn't going to just throw the man out on the street. After all, he was a good friend. Well, mates, what would you have done? Oh, the possibilities if you were that way inclined, you know, to take advantage of Morris in whatever way you wanted. What would you ask for? How would you keep it hidden? I'm not sure what I would have done, but I certainly wouldn't take the fall for that guy. <laughs> Sheesh. Mates, I hope you enjoyed your tale today, and welcome Ed Nobody to our fold of authors. Thank you so much, mate, for sending this through. I've included their details in the episode notes, which is their Twitter handle, at EdIsNobody, where you can follow them and their brilliant stories and uploads. Now you lovelies, before I sign off, I want to thank my epic Patreon supporters. Firstly, my Ode Night Tea Titans. Monumentous Maya. Thank you so much, mate, for your tier of support, as always. Today you'll hear a new pack of music and sound effects, that's all thanks to your donation to the show, and I've been able to test out some new software to cut back even more reverb on my own voice. I still have to tweak a lot of it, but I'm getting better, I think. Thank you so much, Maya. You bring this podcast a game. 
all you, mate. Dashing divided by zero, mate. Thank you so much for your support. Today's declipping of audio is thanks to you. I've purchased a new module that allows me to cull back spikes in audio that would otherwise tear our ears off. <laughs> for example, the car crash sounds made possible and tweaked thanks to your module. So cheers, mate. You're saving all of our ears. <laughs> Spectacular Solstra. Thank you, mate, for your support this month. I've used it to fuel a number of authors and work on ghostwriters. The people have been a pleasure to work with, and I'm formulating a selection online based on word count. Because I'm paying by the word, it quickly adds up. So I'm very careful in my selection, as you can imagine. <laughs> Thanks to you, though, Solstra, I have an option to do this in the first place. You are awesome. And of course, my coolest cucumber and white tea warlord, Lesosaurus Rex. Cheers, mate, for your ongoing awesome support. I'll be making time this weekend to respond to your brilliant email, and having read it already, I simply cannot wait. With your support, mate, I'm funneling it straight into script doctoring for upcoming OTI episodes and streamlining workflows that I already have within the podcast. Thank you, mate, for your awesome support. Thanks, man, for your awesome support. It goes a long way. And the lifeblood that feeds this podcast. My ill grain forces, I've got Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, and Tea Time Drinker One. Shout out to Tea Time Drinker One. I've received your email regarding your poetry. Gotta say, you are a gun. Some of the most well written poetry I've read in a while. Expect to hear from me via email. Mate, have a kick-ass weekend. If you have any spare time, visit my iTunes page to leave a review. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to be a legend like these Patreons, visit www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT and go from there. Stay awesome, which is easy for you a lot. And as always, till next, we meet.